One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. The U.S. government has enacted a zero-tolerance policy for illegal border crossings that results in children being separated from their parents. We discuss the big picture of illegal immigration from Central America. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We are so, so close with our membership drive, guys. We are 487 patrons, and we're trying to get to 500. 13. We just need 13 more to reach our goal, and then we'll be there, and it'll be so fun. We're so excited. Um, everyone is really enjoying Best Nightly Nuance, which is what you get at the $25 level. And so, you know, there's lots of perks. It really helps us grow the community and the podcast and just the mission of what we're trying to do here. So 13 more. That's all we need. 13 more people. What I think is so cool about Patreon is it really allows you to pay what you think the podcast is worth. We create this product. We put it out into the universe and you can pay what you think it's worth to you in your life. And I love that about Patreon. So thank you all for your support. And I hope that you'll check it out if you're not already there. Also, Sarah and I have decided to do some guest hosting at the end of July. I'm really excited about this. So what we're going to do the last two weeks of July, Sarah is going to host a regular Tuesday show with one of our listeners, meaning you'll do a little bit of news, a main topic, and what's going on in your mind outside of politics. And then the next week, I will host a Tuesday show with one of our listeners. So if you are interested in taking a turn in one of our chairs, here's what you need from you. Send us a two to five minute voice memo. You can just record that on your smartphone or any other way that works for you. Just send us an MP3 or MP4 file and tell us in that file which of us you'd prefer to guest host with. And this doesn't need to be a right left match. We want you to think about who can I have a really good conversation with. Also, our feelings are not going to be hurt in this process at all. Just think about who you do a good job with and tell us. 
Tell us what main topic you would like to discuss. So we're going to let our listeners drive the focus topic for those Tuesdays. And then what would you like to share outside of politics? We just want to get a good feel for what you'd like to talk about and how that matches up with us. And then you can tell us anything else we should know. But please do try to keep it in that two to five minute range because I have a feeling we're going to get some of these and it's going to be great. I'm super excited to hear people's voices. We just want to be able to fairly consider everybody that submits. You can email those voice memos to me, Beth, at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com with the subject line, guest host, please and thank you. And we just want to make sure you know that in order to do this, you'll need to be able to talk to us on Skype. You will not need a special microphone. You just need headphones. And then we'll need you to be available on Monday morning before your episode airs to talk with us. So those are the parameters. We've put this information on Patreon. We'll put it on social media as well and in our weekly email. But we are really excited to hear from you. Immigration has been all over the news the last few weeks. For both good reasons and, I think, confusing reasons, there was a sort of social media firestorm created a couple, I would say the story first broke about two months ago, in which the story was basically the government has lost track of 1,500 immigrant children, which was, in headline form, pretty incendiary. But in reality was a little less so. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this email we got from Lou where he talked about how the Trump administration has lost the benefit of the doubt. Mm. So you see a headline like this that says the government has lost these children. And the first reaction for lots of people is just furious outrage. And my reaction was more, what does lost mean? I mean, this mm-hmm. sounds bad, but what does it mean for the why? Why did the government have these children in the first place? And what does it mean that the government lost them? And in case you haven't been following the story, I think I think the coverage has done a good job correcting lately, yeah, but it's hard too. to unwind this. It's really hard to unwind it. But I think most people now understand that by lost, it means that a, a department within HHS is responsible for children who come into the United States unaccompanied by parents and placing those children in sponsor families. Which can sometimes mean their own families. Right. Hopefully, it often means their own Mm -hmm. families. And then later, that department, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, contacts those families to verify that the children are still there. And out of like 7,000 children... About 1,500, they they couldn't verify that the kids were still there. But there are lots of reasons that that might happen. It doesn't mean those children are lost. It means that they are on a form not accounted for. And a really good reason they might be unaccounted for is that those families are fearful of contact with immigration authorities. Right. And there was a really good tweet storm from a woman that was like, we don't don't really actually want the government to know where they are. They are because of those immigration fears, because of deportation fears. So if you're looking for these children, if if you're if you are a person outraged because you want those children, you see those children as refugees and you want them protected within the United States, you don't actually want under this administration them to be closely tracked by the government. It's also important, I think, to realize that child welfare is not a core competency of the federal government. And in fact, a lot of programs that are helping these children are actually administered at the state level. The federal government contracts with state licensed agencies who do this as their core competency to provide these services. And this problem is getting aggravated by what is the real outrage story, which is that our government is now, as a matter of policy, separating families at the border so that They can criminally prosecute all illegal border entry, which creates a need for our government to treat children who came into the United States with their parents in the same way that they treat children who come in unaccompanied by parents or legal guardians. And so now this program that's already been really stretched to deal with kids who come into the family without their parents 
is having to take on kids who came in with their parents. And we don't have a mechanism for health and human services run agencies to coordinate with Homeland Security and the Department of Justice. And that's why there are stories coming out about immigrants who are being detained and going through our criminal justice system, not having any idea where their kids are. And let me just piece out the the outrage machine a little further here, because then you had this Arizona Republic story of first look at these detention centers. You had a lot of people on the left, like John Favreau, retweeting these photos, being outraged. Well, then it comes out these photos are actually from 2014. There was also a really, really intense ACLU report about abuse of children by ICE and immigration officials that came out recently. That report was based on, I think, from something like 2009 to 2014. It was within the Obama administration. And so what we have here is truly a bipartisan problem in that it started under a Democratic president and has been becoming worse under a Republican administration. But because of the way we're talking about it, everyone is sort of fueling each other's worst ideas about one another instead of actually talking about these kids and the way they're suffering, which is really frustrating to me because you have people on the left using either outdated information, misleading information, or abuses talking about it as if this is just a Trump administration problem, which it is not. And you have people on the right using this sort of the way the left talks about it to say, oh, look, see, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just trying to fuel the flames. And so it's like, and then no one's really talking or listening to the real problem, which is that there are, that our immigration system, first and foremost, big picture is broken and that there are real problems within it, abuses within it, and that those are affecting children. And is that okay with us? Does that represent our values as a nation? But because we're too busy screaming about the way we scream about it, we can't talk about that. The hashtag, where are the children, is for sure why people who spend a lot of time with conservative talk radio act as though they've seen the matrix, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's not helpful. And I think the efforts on the left to point out some legitimate problems through exaggeration or not exactly precise information undermine those efforts as well. You're exactly right. We're sort of missing the point. Mm -hmm. And I think we're missing like the big, big picture. Also, the left is not taking responsibility for these abuses under Democratic administrations as well. And and why did those things happen? I think in part it's because... We have just a truly messed up version of law enforcement happening Mm -hmm. in America. Like our mentality around law enforcement has become so extreme and good guys versus bad guys. I shared on a Nightly Nuance episode um, the statement of ethos. That's how they characterized it from ICE's strategic plan. And it like uses words like we outwit our opponents. I mean, it's very just kind of the extreme version of good guys versus bad guys. And that doesn't match the reality very well because zooming way out, when Trump first came into office, illegal border crossings declined. And a lot of people attributed that decline to his extreme rhetoric on immigration. And perhaps that was true. They are rising again because however scary President Trump might be to immigrants, he is not as scary as what people in Central America are enduring in their own countries. Mm -hmm. The Guardian has reported that if you live in Honduras, El Salvador and Guatemala, you can't go to school or to church or to the grocery store without confronting rampant gang violence. It is so dangerous to live in these countries. And that's why we've had an increase in unaccompanied children coming to the United States because people think their kids might be safer with someone who they don't know bringing those kids into America and why now families are immigrating even though they know that there are consequences to coming into the United States illegally that seems like a better option than what's happening in their own country yeah I think that's what's so hard for certain people to hear rhetoric that 
you know, talks about immigrants as if they are lazy or criminally minded, which some of them decidedly are in that there are a flood of human beings. And so in those flood of human beings, there will be some bad actors. Not surprising. But, you know, I always think of Morgan Spurlock's show that he did right after Super Size Me. And one was about illegal immigrants. I think it was called 30 Days. He, like, sort of lived in the opposite way for 30 days. And he had a the son of Cuban immigrants who was, like, a Border Patrol guy, was really in, was really opposed to illegal immigration. And they just couldn't, like, they did all kinds of things to sort of help him empathize with the other side. And he was like, no, do it legally, do it legally. Until he finally, he, like, would, lived with this immigrant family for a while and got to know them. And he was still like, no, they should have followed the rules. And so finally they took him to the place at which they that they were living in Mexico. And he was like, oh, I get it now. I would do anything to get my kids out of this situation. I would break any rule imaginable. I mean, you have to imagine how bad would it be to pe- for people to come? How bad would it have to be for you being separated from your children because where you were was so terrible? In that same token, let me say this. I try to think about other ways that people are motivated and other ways people see things. And I think for for a lot of people, you know, the the protect your own group ethos since we're talking about ethos, is very strong. And for a lot of people, if separating children from their parents protects their own children from who they view as bad actors or criminals trying to cross, they're willing to do that. And I don't, as much as I disagree with it, and as much as it is not my own personal values, I don't think that makes them the enemy. It just makes them different. It's a big, messy country, as we're always saying. And I think that, you know, I do not agree with that. But calling these people monsters is just, it's not helpful. And I want to get to a solution, not just screaming at each other about who's worse and who doesn't care about children. Because I guess just the forever optimist inside me believes that everyone cares about children. That just plays out in different ways. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the other mindset. Because I think that this is a place where we really need to talk about policy. Mm-hmm. If you are listening to this conversation saying, yeah, but we can't take everyone here. Okay, let's discuss then what what we can do as a matter of policy about that. And there was a piece in Foreign Policy, the foreignpolicy.com, that I think was really good. It's by Matthew Rooney and Laura Collins, who work at the George W. Bush Institute in Texas. And they write, like it or not, this is the reality. Americans will bear part of the cost of the nexus of crime, corruption, violence, and poverty, no matter what policymakers in Washington do. This migration strains U.S. border resources. Agents cannot focus on counterterrorism, human trafficking, and drug smuggling if they are continually intercepting children, seeking a glass of water, and a safe place to sleep. Mm. The Northern Triangle, which is Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, is trapped in a vicious cycle. Lack of legitimate economic opportunity drives desperation, which pushes young people without jobs to join gangs or flee the country to help provide for their families. And this is a side note. I read somewhere that almost 20 percent of the GDP of these nations is money coming back from people working in the United States. Wow. The most enterprising come to the United States, depriving their home countries of valuable human capital needed to support their communities and grow their economies. The gangs grow more powerful, undermining public order. Shaky rule of law deters investment, which reduces economic opportunity. And this article suggests that the United States focus more on free trade to open up these economies. But think about what we're doing as a matter of policy alongside our immigration crackdown. We are today slapping tariffs on Mexico. We are looking at renegotiating NAFTA in a much more draconian way. Our Department of Homeland Security, if you're saying people should come here but do it legally, well, DHS has removed Honduras and El Salvador from the Temporary Protected Status Program. So people who wanted to come legally to seek asylum here from countries dealing with disasters and violence, and I'm, I've hesitated because I'm not sure asylum is exactly the right term, which highlights again how complicated our immigration system is, but we've removed one legal avenue for people to temporarily come to the United States for a safer life. We're cutting aid to Latin America by 40 percent in 2019. So if your perspective is people should stay in their own countries, or people should come to the United States illegally, 
we aren't doing anything as a matter of policy to effectuate those outcomes. What we're doing ultimately, I think, is spending lots and lots and lots Mm -hmm. more money on this problem. We need more border agents. We need our Department of Justice and our court systems tied up with these issues. Now we need a massive expansion of the federal government in order to deal with child welfare appropriately. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what you think needs to happen here if you're a person who doesn't want to humanely deal with immigration and you are unwilling to do anything to improve the circumstances in these Latin American countries. Yeah, I can't fathom how expensive it is to criminally prosecute all illegal border crossings. I just can't. To build the wall, to crack down at this way is so absurdly expensive. And Everything you just talked about, from the way we deal with people crossing the border to the way to what we do once they're here, with to how we deal with those countries economically and um, with regards to asylum and protected status programs, that is all sticks and no carrots. And I just want to stop for a moment and ask people, how does that work in your life when you approach mm-hmm. someone, anyone, a child, someone in your workplace, someone at your school, someone at church, all sticks, no carrots? Because I can tell you in my life, it works for It never works. People don't respond well to negative reinforcement. Animals don't respond great to negative reinforcement. You have to have positive motivation. It's like we always talk, back to the church clothes example, you can't shame people into wearing the right church clothes. You have to inspire their better nature. And like the United States has a lot of tools at our disposal to affect positive change in the world. And yes, we don't have a great track record um, well, I, I don't know. I don't think our positive work has a pretty good track record. It's when we try to go in with sticks that it doesn't work so great. So, you know, I just and it's not like there's ev- never a place for sticks. It's not like there's ever never a place to stand up and use negative consequences. I could have used some sticks with Syria a while back. But like to only to to use the only approach possible from trade to immigration to any policy affecting foreign nations just to be stick, 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 it's going to end badly. There there must be some pressure relief valve for these countries, right? And sorry, everybody, but our, we are not exempt from our geography. Mm-hmm. And geographically, we are the place for that pressure relief valve. We just are. Mm-hmm. And so you can be mad about that all day long. Just like Europe is the pressure release valve for the Middle East. And they can be mad about it all day long, too, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. These are the realities that we need to confront. So we could look at our economic policy. We could look at our immigration policy. We could look at our legal immigration processes and ask whether there is any sanity going on here. And I would argue that there is not. We could look at our gun policy because I read some really interesting articles about how a lot of gang violence in Central America and Mexico is incubated at our border where people are trying to come in and get assault weapons in the United States because we have so many of them. You know, we could also look at things like. Just insult to injury for Central America is the fact that Oliver North is now running the NRA. So American guns are part of their violence problem. And now someone who is notorious in Central America for diverting American funds to a group of rebels in those countries is running the organization that advocates for guns in our country. So like we all over the place have opportunities to make this problem better. But it seems like what... The kind of Trump base and his approach to this issue is, is like, well, the more I crack down, the better it's going to get. And to your point, Sarah, these are people who are not just annoyed by negative reinforcement. They are people who have been cracked down on so hard that they can't go to the grocery store without Mm -hmm. fearing that their children will be killed in the process. When you add desperation to an already desperate situation, you are going to get violence ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. And so we we have got to find a better way here. And separating children and their parents and asking our government to handle that well, when it 100% doesn't have the resources or the expertise to do that, as has been demonstrated for the past couple of decades, we just have a big problem here. So we have a big problem, and I know it can feel really hopeless. 
And that's certainly how I feel when I think about the situation with children being separated from their parents. Like I'm I'm trying not to get emotional about it because I'm angry and I don't think I just can't go down the rabbit hole of thinking about children, my children's age being separated from their parents. I just it's not a good place for me to go. So we're trying to think of what we could do. And some of our favorite people on the internet, like Glennon Doyle and Elizabeth Gilbert, are part of a group called Together Rising. And they have decided to come together to do something about the separation of children from their parents. They just raised a million dollars in 24 hours to address this problem. And they, I think they, they should be coming out with updates soon about what they're going to do with the money and how they can help. So Together Rising is a good place to work. I know all of you are an amazing resource. So if you know of other organizations that are doing that are working towards really positive change with immigration or are doing something very specific with regards to the children being separated by, from their parents, please share it on our social media channels and we'll amplify it. We did a Twitter thread that we can link to in these show notes as well with a link, a, a desperate need of agencies supporting ORR, this Office of Refugee Resettlement that deals with children in these circumstances, is for foster families. Mm. And it's really hard to find those organizations um, for a lot of really good reasons. So there is a link to help you get started to find. And that is a huge ask, right? Being a foster mm-hmm. family is a life-changing ask for an entire family. But if this issue calls out to you in this way, if this is your work to do, uh, we'll provide a link for that. And some of those agencies also need mentors and tutors and people to otherwise surround children without taking on you know, transportation and doctor's appointments, things like that. So there are opportunities to volunteer your time, not just your money. And we'll try, again, as Sarah said, to share as much as we can learn about those opportunities. Big picture, though, that is all a Band-Aid to this crisis. Mm -hmm. And what we desperately need, I think, is a Congress that will actually do real immigration law reform. Because until we have a legal immigration system that makes sense, that enables people to temporarily seek shelter in our country, that enables us to properly vet people but get them in over the border or not in a timely manner instead of being tied up in overburdened court systems and civil immigration systems for too long, we're going to continue to have these problems and we're going to continue to have administrations that take a spectrum of approaches to dealing with these problems, some of them very draconian and inhumane. Next up, we are going to talk about Puerto Rico and the Volcker Rule. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Pansy. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We learned this week that... Unlike the official death toll from Hurricane Maria, over 4,600 people have died in Puerto Rico, resulting from the hurricane and power and infrastructure problems that occurred after it and that went long unaddressed. And interruptions in medical care created a 60% increase in mortality in the months following the storm. This is devastating. There are wars that kill fewer people than have died in Puerto Rico. I don't understand why the government is is persisting in this very low number when everyone can see it's insanely higher. I understand that the data is difficult on this, and I understand that the administration probably doesn't want to take responsibility for the deaths that weren't actually caused in the storm. But the truth is, our government is responsible for that. I mean, this is these are American citizens. So if you listen to our conversation on Central America and thought, not my country, not my problem. okay. if you listen to this conversation about Puerto Rico, though, that like that is our problem. Mm -hmm. There is no excuse for what happened here. If this happened in Texas. Or it did happen in Texas and everybody got all <laughs> that's what's so outrageous. It did have like this horrible hurricane. You mean like the the death toll, but the hurricane happened and we were all over it and the president was down there throwing, you know, throwing paper towels and now it happened in Puerto Rico and everybody's like, mm, not everybody. Well, but he I'm threw the hyper he, he threw the paper towels in in Puerto Rico. Oh, it that's was where in that Puerto footage Rico. came from and that's why oh. it was so ill-advised, right? Because he kind of approached it as though it it was the same level of outreach that we did in Texas and Florida. Mm-hmm. But the truth is it wasn't. And it's not wrong to say that Puerto Rico's infrastructure made this infinitely more difficult. Sure, it did. Its geography makes it more difficult. Its infrastructure makes it more difficult. It's hard. But we don't say, well, it's hard. Yeah. Let's let our fellow countrymen die there. Yeah. I think that this is a good moment to remember that. Our democracy is flawed, but it is important to be a member of it. And that's what's so terrible about Puerto Rico is, yeah, they're American citizens, but they don't have any real representation. They're not a state. And so they don't have senators, powerful senators like Senator Cornyn, who to go up there and make sure that they get the the disaster relief they need. Right. That's right. That's what's so terrible about this. They're stuck. They don't have their own country but they don't have representation in our democracy. And I should hope that these 4,000-plus people who died are representative of the fact that they do need representation because to be stuck in the middle, to basically be a permanent refugee, which is what I feel like they kind of are, that's the worst situation to be, to have no one to advocate for you on a higher level, besides poor Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's out there doing it all on his own. Well, and not only that, but our government officials attacked some of the actual leadership in Puerto Rico Mm -hmm. for pointing out that the relief was inadequate. CNN has a scathing critique of how this was handled that we will link in the show notes. 
it's scathing, but it's not wrong. And this to me is another situation that should defy partisanship. We just really messed this up. Yep. And President Trump didn't personally cause all of the problems that led us to really mess this up. So if you're always in defense mode for President Trump, like there, it's true that there are other things. We probably need a, a real sit down about FEMA to talk about whether FEMA is equipped. Does it get enough money? Is it organized in the right way? Do we have the right minds and scientists and disaster relief experts there to do what is going because because the challenges are rising. And if you want to argue about why, that's okay. But they are. And I think we want our government to be prepared to go into difficult places. I mean, I've been thinking about would this have been different if it had been Hawaii? Mm. And I think it might have for the pure fact that Hawaii has voting representation in Congress. Yeah. And we're all taught that Hawaii is one of the 50 states. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wonder what difference our education makes here, because I think so many Americans don't understand our relationship with Puerto Rico. And so the public pressure on Washington has been lower. But this could happen in Hawaii. Right. And don't we want FEMA to be prepared for that? So I think artificially lowering the death toll and making all these excuses about what happened is such a distraction from the work that I think all Americans should want done to ensure that this is an unbelievable, historically awful failure that we don't ever want to repeat. But I don't see any movement to decide how we're not going to repeat it. Yeah, and I hope that's one of those things that is quietly happening among, you know, professionals in our government that we don't hear from on Twitter every day. And if you are one of those people or know them and could just like send us a little note <laughs> telling us that it's happening, this. it would make I mean, because hurricane season's about to start and there's still some people on that island that don't have power. And, you know, what bothers me, too, about the idea that, it, you know, they had problems beforehand. Yeah. But again, it's sort of tied back to the fact that they are a part of this country with no representation. Well, speaking of representation, this is an awkward segue. But because it's important to care about multiple things at one time, we're going to talk a little bit about the Volcker rule, which sounds a lot more interesting than I think it ultimately is, although it is very important. The Volcker rule was part of the Dodd-Frank regulations put into place after the 2008 financial crisis. It's supposed to keep banks from using depositors' money to make risky investments. And we care about this because when banks make risky investments that fail, the federal government insures those deposits up to a certain amount. So taxpayers hold the bag when banks lose money and the overall economy struggles, as we very recently saw in massive ways. So this rule, which, according to The New York Times, took five agencies three years to write, is named after a formal former chair of the Federal Reserve named Paul Volcker. And it prohibits banks from doing essentially two categories of things. First, owning, partnering with, or investing in hedge or private equity funds. So it says, like, Bank of America cannot have a division that is super speculative, that, that goes out to take these giant bets that either are going to make people lots and lots of money or lose them lots of money. And second... Banks can't engage in proprietary trading. So banks are allowed to make investments to guard against risk, but they are not allowed to make investments to create profit for the banks, which means that they are allowed to trade in U.S. government obligations. They can still partner up customers who want to buy and sell securities with each other, and they can still hedge against risk. And what we're talking about when we say hedging against risk is that Banks are out there loaning money and people could default on those loans. And so banks are allowed to invest and make money back to ensure that if they lose money on loans, which they certainly will somewhere along the way, and we want them to, right? We want them to make loans that keeps the economy moving, that they'll have some safeguard against that. 
Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I think that I have have begrudgingly admitted, based on conversations with some of my local bankers, literally like the president of Paducah Bank. So that's not this is not a giant bank that there was that Dodd-Frank was um, it did overshoot the mark in some ways, particularly with small and medium sized banks, which they just recently repealed some of the regulations on the small and medium sized banks. And we have the um, federal governor appointed by Barack Obama saying she supported the proposal as long as the chief executives of banks were willing to personally attest to future claims. She said the requirement of CEO attestation is critical for this work in my view. Okay, so I don't think it's all bad. I don't think it's time to burn the barn down because all is lost. However, when I'm reading through the the changes, what always makes me worry is that there's all this talk of self-regulation, that we're going to shift it to the banks and the banks are going to regulate themselves and make sure they're meeting these rules themselves. And that's where my alarm bells go off. So I think that's a fair place for your alarm bells to go off. Regulation is hard. I mean, right? that sounds like a silly thing to say, 
but it's hard to get this right. Mm -hmm. I don't think that traditional banks backed by federal deposit insurance should be making the kinds of investments that hedge funds make. And so I think there is good in this legislation. I also think it is good for regulators to be responsive to a reality check on how compliance with those regulations is playing out. Mm-hmm. And so the new proposal right now, now I think they're going to go a lot farther than this. And that's why I'm hedging a little bit in this conversation, because I have a feeling this is step one in a long line of deregulation, and that deregulation could go too far too. But this step is a lot about reporting and about allowing banks to label securities as trading assets on their balance sheets when those trades exceed a certain threshold. So it kind of keeps the burden on larger banks. Hopefully, I don't know that this is right, but my sense from my research is that this will help banks like Paducah Bank, right? There'll Mm -hmm. be a little bit of relaxation for smaller banks, which are already squeezed as it is. And listen, if you know anything about community banking, we want community banking. It is so good to have small community banks who will make loans to people based on character and knowledge. I mean, like, we don't want that to go away. So giving them some relief, I think, is really important. Okay, so it's going to keep some burdens on these bigger banks, but it's going to allow them to account for those burdens in ways that they're already doing accounting. So it might give them some more flexibility, but there are still some pretty significant limitations in place on risky behavior. And I know that we're oversimplifying. And listen, banking law is the worst grade I've ever gotten in my life. It's super hard. <laughs> I find it really uninteresting. Um, I don't I don't do this very well. But that's my rough understanding that I don't think we need to freak out about this because I think this is some responsiveness by regulators to to that reality check and a responsiveness to market conditions changing, which has to be part of monetary policy. It We should be constantly looking at how our financial regulations match the financial reality, in my opinion. Well, and here's the here's the other thing that I'm not I'm not ready to freak out. But again, I would put myself firmly in on alert territory because some of this also is shifting this burden of proof from the banks having to prove that they are following the Volcker rule and they're not doing things that are too risky to regulators. At the same time, we're scaling back the amount of regulators and we have all these hiring freezes because here's what really concerns me is when you look at every, it's not just the Volcker rule, right? It's that he's, you know, Mulvaney is taking a, torch gun to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that they're rescinding consumer rules aimed at preventing discrimination by auto lenders. This is the list from the New York Times. The Fed in the Office of Comptroller of the Currency recently proposed easing limits on how much the largest banks can borrow. The Fed has also proposed changes to the stress test that banks must undergo each year to determine whether they can withstand an economic downturn. So my concern is that we are chipping away at some of the protections we put in place after 2008, which in my personal opinion, weren't even strong enough. So we're chipping away and we're doing it all at once. And so should something happen, it's not as if we're going to be able to say, okay, well, this this was the one that really made the difference because we're taking, you know, we're taking pruning shears to all of them. And so should we end up in that situation again, we're not going to be able to sort of point easily, at least, to which of these protections made the difference so that when we took pruning shears to them, and I'm not saying there's always an easy answer, but it's also not so complicated that we can't look back at 2008 and see some big trends, mainly in absence of regulation, that led to this. And so, you know, that's just my concern. I don't want to be back in 2008, and I don't think that we did enough to protect about that. And you know, you look at the you look at the Great Depression and the protections they had in place stood for decades, not a decade or less and then we're like, "Oh, this isn't good enough. Let's mess with it." I don't know. It's just concerning. It's really hard because our our financial system is just so complicated and it's difficult to avoid the big banks as much as you'd like to. It's really hard mm-hmm. to not have a visa. 
you know, and and I'm I'm putting a whole bunch of things together here. We try in our family to make some small steps to help with these problems. We keep our money with a small local credit union, for example. Mm-hmm. But when you're getting a mortgage, you can't control to whom that mortgage is sold. I mean, it this whole system has just left the sphere of our ability as consumers to to really significantly influence it or even talk about it appropriately. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think regulation is critically important. And so I agree with most of what you said, Sarah. I don't want to go too far here. And I think that regulation is really critical. And and I'm okay if some people get inconvenienced by that. And I'm especially okay if some people end up making less money because of that. Because mm-hmm. I think that that those are um, fair costs of ensuring that our entire economy doesn't collapse again because of these banks. I don't know what a long-term solution is, and I am certainly not well-versed enough in economics or monetary policy to be able to talk about that. And and I really can't even offer solutions for what we as individuals can do here other than do our best to follow what's happening and keep our heads on about it so that when we do reach out to contact our legislators, we have some credibility in doing that. But it's tough. Well, thanks for sticking with us today through several tough conversations, which don't wrap up neatly with a bow. Don't make me feel great about the direction we're heading, but it's still important to talk about them. It's still important to be aware and pay attention. And thanks for joining us every week as we attempt to do that. We will be back on Tuesday with another show. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Support for Pantsuit Politics comes from our listeners. We especially appreciate our executive producers, George Niedermeyer, Tracy Pedoff, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. Our theme music was written and performed by Dante Lima. To support Pantsuit Politics, please visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. Subscribe and leave a rating and review in the Apple Podcast Player and follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politic and Facebook and Instagram at Pantsuit Politics.